Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. I'm really excited about this topic today. I just love this. You were telling me the story about an experience you had a number of years ago involving something that you called the Room of Pain. Tell us about this Room of Pain. <laughs> you, you, you describe it very well. You, you have the right inflection. So this is when uh, I'm a, a young whippersnapper. I've uh, just joined a development organization, and they shipped me out to a, uh, um, a backwater, a, a place you didn't really want to go, an old industrial town uh, that was kind of uh, grim and depressing. And uh, they shipped me out to see the client there. And everybody told me, oh, you don't want to go there. Man, boy, you're really sorry you have to go there. What's, what's bad out there? And I, I found out what was bad. So when I got there, I discovered that the problem I was going to investigate would involve visiting this room. And also everybody at the client was sort of like, oh man, you know, go back to the room. We got room 12, whatever. Go, go back there. They, they did not sound too excited about it. And I got to, to the room and it seemed like a perfectly ordinary uh, office with uh, people busily working at computers. And uh, the, the mission I knew of this group was to test the system that we were building for them. So it was a relatively involved system with lots of connections to other uh, products and other others, uh, uh, pieces of software running in the organization. And uh, what they uh, were doing, it became only sort of slowly apparent to me, was that they were living through Groundhog Day. And uh, I've ever actually never seen the movie, so uh, but I do know the, the 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 basic plot, which is you do the same thing over and over again. You wake up, it's always the same day. And for them, they woke up every day, and it was the same two weeks. So what they were doing actually, um, because they they didn't have any mechanism for um, jumping from one area of the system to another or for for simulating actions of different systems was everybody was sat in the room and got kind of watching the clock and they had a big blue binder everyone had this binder on their on their desk of printed um, pages and on each page was what was supposed to happen that day and they would watch the clock and it, the the binder would say at 302 this person logs on at 303 this person enters this piece of data and then at 3.07, this other person logs on. And at 3.08, this other person views that piece of data in a report. And they were verifying that the other system would get the data and perform the processing and that the report would be visible. And um, I, I felt horrible for these poor people who were sat in this room. And their, their, their mission in life was just to be robots. They were just um, doing whatever the, the blue book told them. And of course, then what they would do is report problems to people like me who had no idea that this was going on. Uh, I certainly didn't understand it as a very young developer and very, very new. Um, and, and we would get a bug report that would say at 3.07, I was logged on at 3.08, I was supposed to see the report and I didn't see it and so on. Um, and we would investigate. And then of course they had to start the two weeks over again because I would have fixed whatever the problem was. So then they would reset everything, go back to the beginning of the blue binder and start again. And they did this over and over <laughs> and over and over again. Believe it or not, the system did eventually go live, but it wasn't because of the efforts of these guys. So that's what I <laughs> called the room of pain, because I, I just um, felt so horrible for the poor people who were having to, to do this process. When, when you first told me, I had been thinking it was a room of pain because it was painful for you to visit there. And I only later you know, realized you told me, but it was, you no, know, you were empathizing for the people locked in the room. You know, oh, yeah, it was fine be... for me. I knew I could leave. <laughs> they were trapped, right? I could go back and write some code and um, you know, re refactor something and improve my, my life and so on. They were going to be doing what was in the blue binder forever. 
Yeah, they're just waiting for 307 again and yeah, again. Yeah, exactly. And again. And, you know, the, when you told me this, and eventually it's it sunk in, I got kind of chills because this is what uh, what I first learned about with testing uh, was that testing, a test script was this. It was a script for a human to follow where you... Mm-hmm. You know, you you fed the human robot. <laughs> Here's the steps you're going to follow exactly. And uh, when when we've talked in the past about documentation driven development and binders of documentation, this that blue binder with all those test scripts in it, that was that was normal and expected. And um, and uh, and yeah, but it's if it turns out this is a terrible, terrible waste of human life. It is the which is the worst. Uh, kind of thing to do because you're doing something so against human nature. You're telling these people with with all of their thoughts and feelings and all the wonderful human abilities to say, we want you to be a machine mm-hmm. and just do the same thing the same way every single time, look for the same results and let us know if things uh, didn't happen exactly the right way. And in fact, this isn't even, it's, they were called, it's called testing, but it's, it's not. Uh, I remember talking to Michael Bolton about this and we said, what, what they're doing is not testing because testing is a human activity. What they're doing is checking. <laughs> they're doing a set of steps and then, and then checking to see that the specified outcome is there. Yep. Um, but it, the, the tragedy of this is that humans are terrible robots. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is, you're asking them to do something that they're actually very bad at. Humans have great trouble acting consistently. And this is something from um, Alistair Coburn in one of the favorite papers for me, one of the most uh, influential papers in my career, which is characterizing people as nonlinear first order components in software development, a very non-humanistic title, but filled with humanistic yeah, thought. Exactly. <laughs> it is. And uh, we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes, but, but what he goes through is all the things that humans are bad at and all the things that humans are good at. And he suggests that maybe actually it would be a good idea if we optimized our processes that involved humans for the things that humans are good at. That's right. And this is actually one of the things that got me uh, so, so excited about continued integration and testing back in the day. So you and I met at KitCon, the continuous integration and testing conference, uh, which I was uh, involved with because of my work on cruise control, which for me started way back in 2001. Gee, Jeffrey, what's cruise control? That, yeah. <laughs> that sounds, I've never heard of that. What's that? Yeah, it's uh, it's what people used to use before before Jenkins and before Hudson. It was the ah, uh, oh, yeah, be, be, before that. Yeah, it was the it was a continuous integration server, uh, or wasn't not even a server in the beginning. It was more of a continuous integration ant plugin originally. Uh, oh, I didn't it, know that. What, what really excited me about uh, cruise control when I first learned about it was because I had been one of these people uh, being scripted. And, um, and, and this, this also, you told me that it reminded me a lot of the, the story in the unicorn project of, uh, of testing day, uh, when, when Max or Maxine, as it turns out, uh, it is, uh, goes and takes donuts to the QA people and she begins to learn a little bit about their life. And I think she has, a, and kind of they're a in a completely reaction. different building and she's visiting something that's like the room of pain and describing, oh my God, you have to use IE6 and you know, so on <laughs> and so forth, all the painful things they're having to do uh, to, to deal with her code. And like me, she has no idea that um, her code is disappearing off into this other building somewhere and is being um, uh, used to, to torture and whip these poor people. 
That's right. And you know, my, my experience, it wasn't quite as bad, but it did have some elements. And um, it, it, this is like around about 97, 98, uh, I was working for this company and we would do system tests that were somewhat similar to what you're describing. We, but every morning we would, we would um, uh, or actually overnight, we would have a, a an environment built and, uh, and then we would um, configure it and then start our manual testing. And the thing is, we would sometimes discover that it's just as soon as we got the system uh, uh, installed and everything configured, the database is reset, all the test data in the right right position already for our manual tests. That actually, the the software was fundamentally broken. That was it was it was brain dead. You know, you couldn't log in, you couldn't do anything at all. And this was just horrifying. I mean, it, you can imagine you're you're, this, you're there with your blue binder. And it's like, well, today is not happening. <laughs> you know, at, at mm-hmm. 307, yep. I will not be doing what I should be doing at 307 because I, I can't I can't do the the, the 9 a.m. step. And and if I can't do the 9 a.m. step, well then eleven a.m. is not gonna happen and so on and so on. And it was a it was a terrible feeling because even if we could get a fix from the developers, it was minimally, you know, three or four hours to get everything the environments reset and ready to go. And more likely we would lose a day. And, and, and this was terrible because, you know, what do we, what do we do now? What do we do for the rest of the day? Even if we, even if we can get something working and something to test, like we know there's going to be more changes tomorrow or changes coming to fix something very important because there's this whole sections that are just totally not non-functional. And it really just felt like there was like, there was a wasted day. And uh, that's what got me excited about uh, continuous integration is that now we could have uh, every expectation that um, when a developer is checking in during the day and they break something terribly, <laughs> just you know that the that the, the automated checking will catch it and tell them right away. So if they if they check in something at eleven a.m. and they break the system, uh, then they're going to get an email at say eleven fifteen saying, "Hey, you you broke stuff bad," and uh, there'd be every expectation that they'll be able to fix it and address that before they go home for the day. And therefore the nightly build will work and we'll create something that's usable. And when we come in the next day, we still had manual tests to do, but at least we were gonna be starting with some baseline expectation of things basically working. And something else good happens too when you do that is that you can start to rely on those automated tests to test the very, very basic mechanical things that Coburn was telling us humans are bad at. So things like remembering to check that um, you can enter a one character password or that you can, uh, or you're prevented from entering a one character password or something else like that, that it's very easy. You know, the blue binder may say it, but you've done it so many times. You as a human will say, oh yeah, well, I don't have to worry about any of that authentication stuff. I got to get to the new exciting stuff at 307. I'm going to blast through this. And of course you've skipped something that's important and you don't catch it. The computer can actually catch that for you. And then that means that you can focus your time on doing what um, a, a lot of very clever folks um, started to invent after this as a as reaction to it. Um, you can do exploratory testing. So you can actually um, have not a test script, but a test map, if you will, that, that describes where you should be going. And then you can actually use all that human creativity to think up things you would never think of, like entering uh, a password that's a million characters long or something else. You can, you can come up with all the crazy things that humans are good at and let the computers deal with the things that actually the developers need to know as fast as possible so that they can give you something you can do your exploratory testing on top of. 
Yeah, exactly. And to so you know the, to to use the vocabulary, you know, stop checking, <laughs> get the computers to do the checking, and then you as the human can focus on the real testing. Uh, so I I found you know human testing is still in in my experience uh, incredibly productive. Um, you learn a lot. Sometimes it's um, everything worked the way it was supposed to, but it, as a human, you go, this, there's still something that's not right here. Um, you know, you, you, you can find the sort of as coded bugs <laughs> that actually just don't, don't really work for the user given how they actually want to work through their workflow. And that's kind of that every functional element worked, but um, the workflow didn't add up to for the human user. You can find that kind of, of element, which is incredibly value, value add. Uh, and not waste your time uh, going through the blue binder. <laughs> and this is uh, one way to get out of the room of pain. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, so I hope our listeners found this story uh, at least a little bit terrifying. We should have done this on Halloween, Jeffrey. Your voice is so good. I've got to think <laughs> up some more uh, difficult uh, situations that you can uh, you can narrate for us. But um, I, I hope listeners have enjoyed that. If you have your own room of pain or if you're trying to escape it or or uh, not set one up in the first place, we'd love to hear from you. you. You can always do that by finding us at troubleshootingagile.com or conversationaltransformation.com, which is where you can also pre-order our book and join the mailing list and all kinds of other fantastic stuff. So uh, get in touch with us through Twitter, email, any of those ways. Uh, we had a very nice comment on SoundCloud this week. So uh, any place you can find us, we're interested in hearing from you. And of course, we also like it when you hit whatever subscribe button makes sense in your uh, method of listening to podcasts, because we're here every Wednesday and we have been for a couple of years and we intend to keep coming. So uh, we'd like to talk to you again and, and maybe scare the pants off you next time. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Squirrel.